Hello, I'm John Bishop. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by The Guardian. I've just come off stage at the Guild of Bloom where I was interviewed by Miles Jupp. You have to listen to it. It is an experience when you listen to those two voices clash together. You realise that the social stigma of the poor man and the rich man sharing space is now gone. Yes, we can be friends. You've got to listen. There was also loads on the show. There was Delete the Banjacks, Sammy J. Tom Allen, James Tappy Wright, who worked with Elvis Presley and Jimi Hendrix, there was Des Bishop, and there was me, so make sure you keep on listening for my bit, because it is a social experiment that will be repeated all over the lands again. There was loads of people in the crowd, and before we started, Miles tried to warm them up with an incredible anecdote about a chief executive from a major pharmaceutical company. And uh, that's why people refer to him as the Stiffy King. <laughs> Surely they can't cut that one out. The Guardian, live at the Edinburgh Festival 2009. Welcome to the nightclub of the Gilded Balloon, to The Guardian, live at the Edinburgh Festival 2009. <laughs> now, my first guest today uh, is not uh, a character comedian, a, uh, a genuine, a former roadie here in Edinburgh, telling tales of his past. Uh, he's a man who he had a fight with John Lennon at his 21st birthday party. Uh, he took Jimi Hendrix to a clap doctor and told Elvis Presley to fuck off. Um, let's find out more. Please welcome James Tappy Wright. So, Tappy, hello, welcome. Welcome, uh, welcome to, to the Guardian podcast. Welcome to Edinburgh. Thank you for having me. Now, just then, the, the, some of the names that I read out in, uh, in, in your introduction, they seem sort of, uh, unbelievable in a way. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the roadie, into the roadie business? I got, uh, my definition of a roadie is a, is a failed musician. I was a guitar player, but not good enough. So the next thing is, well, you've got to get into the business. And uh, I ended up uh, as a roadie for a small group called the Alan Price Combo. And they, they made it big. They became the animals. So that was my uh, first uh, roadie gig. And so you moved then from working for the animals, the animals broke America. Then. Oh, Sorry. they were the second band. The Beatles were the first one to break into the States with number one. The Animals was actually the second with House of the Rising Sun. It was a huge hit in 1964. So uh, it was a, an amazing experience for me because I lived in post-war Britain. <laughs> Terraced houses, outdoor loos. And the next thing I know, I'm in uh, New York City. You know, private toilets and <laughs> colour TV. And amazing. It was just too much to grasp all at once. So if you're, if you're a roadie in that situation, and say you are uh, a roadie for the animals, and they have big, big success, do you think then that, that people then start, other people in the business start associating you with, uh, you know, you with that sort of thing? So people are saying, oh, well, I tell you, I tell you, I tell you who helps people break America. Uh, <laughs> but is it that sort of thing? And then, you know, because then you're, you know, you're living the high life with these people. Who, who did you move on to, say, after, uh, after the animals? After the animals, I went with a band called Herman's Hermits, Peter Noon. <laughs> well, let me tell you, he was big. He was bigger than the Beatles and the Stones, the animals, and most British acts in 65. This little guy, I tell you, he was the first, I would say, boy band, pretty face, you know. And uh, I'll tell you a funny story with, when I was with Peter Noon. Uh, we had just landed in uh, Hawaii from a long-haul flight and uh, I told the girl in the reception, no phone calls, because we're so tired. And he used to get phone calls from grannies, mothers, everything. This guy was so big. So we, 
We went to bed and bring, bring the phone. I thought, oh my goodness. I just told her no calls. So anyway, I pick up the phone and uh, there's a guy on the phone for Peter Noon. He said, who heard it? It Elvis Presley. <laughs> so I told him, fuck off, of course. <laughs> <laughs> And he was very nice. He just says, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> so I went downstairs crazy. I said, I said, I just told you, no calls. I just had some schmuck on the phone who <laughs> tells me he's Elvis Presley. She said, oh, I'm sorry, that was Mr. Presley. No one <laughs> he was my idol. I loved the guy. He was like, so I, I got him back on the phone and I apologized. He said, oh, it's okay. He says, you know, I can't even order a pizza. Nobody believes me. He says, <laughs> And did you get a, did you get a chance to to apologise to him face to face? Oh yeah, well he took us the next day, Peter and me. He took us out to. He was making one of them silly movies he used to make. It wasn't Blue Hawaii. It was another. I think the Hawaiian Paradise Lost or something. He took us out Columbia Pictures, and he was very nice. He called me sir, which kind of gave me a. You know, we don't do that over here. He says, "Excuse me, sir," and I'm like. <laughs> Elvis was like, I got to say this, and um, you know, I'm not gay as you may can tell, <laughs> but, but that man was the most beautiful man when you look, you know? Wouldn't have taken much, I'll tell you. <laughs> he was beautiful, I'm sure you were. What a beautiful man, what a, on it. Did you, did you go to his house? Yes, yes, he, he gave us his number and when we were touring, he said, if you're in Memphis, you just, so I did. Uh, Peter didn't want to go. He, he was only 17, and Elvis was no big deal to him, but I went. <laughs> and I remember ringing up, and this little pink Jeep came down to the gate and put me in it, like with a candy-striped roof, and took me up to the house. And Elvis is there with a few guys singing away. I even had one of his peanut butter and banana, whatever, the sandwich. Disgusting. <laughs> but he had two. <laughs> now, uh, you also had a, you had a food fight with John Lennon. Well, uh, that was my 21st birthday a long time ago, and the animals organized this big, huge party for me. And John Lennon came with Eric Burden, you know, he was, he was a lovely guy also. And uh, as I'm cutting the cake, he thought, oh, the hell with this, it was boring, the party was boring, so he slammed my head in the cake. <laughs> and anybody else, and I would have given him a Geordie tea cake. <laughs> uh, but with Lennon, I let him go. It was a, then they ended up, the food was going everywhere. Nobody ate the cake, it was just thrown it around. L another lovely guy. You know. <laughs> not, not as peaceful then as we're led to believe, perhaps, John. Uh, bit, a bit aggressive when it comes to catering. Um, you, uh, you work very closely with Jimi Hendrix. Absolutely, yes. Well, we've, when the animals actually broke up in 66, the, uh, they were going their own separate ways, you know, Eric Burden was forming another new animals and Chas Chandler, the bass player, decided he was going to manage somebody, so we, we were told about this, this little black guy playing in this club in downtown Manhattan, so we went to see him. He was, he was okay, he was just another singing the blues, but all of a sudden he stopped playing with his bloody teeth and behind his head and under here, you know, I thought, he can play the guitar better down here than I could with it. But that was it. Charles said, I'm going to make something with this guy. Not from his singing, because he was just singing the blues like everybody else. It wasn't the Hendrix that we know. So he signed him up, and we brought him to England that following month. And you saw, you saw a lot of his uh, uh, greatest performances. Did you see you were there when he played the Star Spangled Banner? 
And Woodstock? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was... When we did Woodstock, it was oh, a dreadful thing. I mean, everybody makes such a big deal out of Woodstock. It was just mud and people making love and disgusting, really. <laughs> In the mud, I'm talking about. <laughs> that is, anyhow, yeah. There was a half a million people at Woodstock. It was quite an amazing feat. It was all free, of course, they just broke in, but uh, by Sunday night when Jimmy was supposed to headline it, the stage broke down, so he couldn't do it. So they had to fix it and it was raining, so he couldn't go on until nine o'clock on the Monday. They'd all gone home. There was about 15,000 people left out of 500. And that was when he did the Star Spangled Banner, you know. But it was really quite a poor concert. But. <laughs> you, you, but you, you knew him for the rest of his life then? What was left of it, yeah, yeah. It wasn't much. A year after Woodstock, he's gone. Unless. Uh, now, uh, drugs, kids, drugs. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't advertising, so he was. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you also uh, you work with some people that we've not we've not mentioned: uh, Stones, Dean Martin, Chuck Berry, Little Richard. Uh, incredible names all. Who was um, who was the biggest pain in the ass? Barbara Streisand. <laughs> I worked five days with Barbara Streisand before she even said good morning. Never spoke to me at all. Made me wear a cap, you know, shut the window, you know, in the limo. Strange lady. Oh, Brilliant right. artist, I mean, the best, but... Well, a show, it was a chauffeur's hat she made you wear, not like a sort of... A chauffeur's hat, yeah. Not like a, not like a Barbara Streisand uh, and, cap. And, uh, <laughs> And, you know, I worked, uh, you know, and I remember once I was with the animals and uh, we're doing Ready, Steady, Go. Uh, and I had to bring the guys on the, on the uh, stage, but I had to go past the Beatles. You know, no big deal, I didn't. So I, as I'm walking past, they're all fine. And I, I, I sort of go to Paul McCartney. I go, excuse me, Paul. And I was bringing him. And he, he went, ooh, don't touch me. I'm, what? You know, I was from Newcastle. I wanted to give him a... <laughs> But John Lennon leaned forward, and I thought he was going to tell me off. He's, and uh, he says, hit the bastard. <laughs> there was no love lost for them two, I'll tell you. I, w I was dying to do it, but that would have been end. I wouldn't be sitting here now. That would be the end of my career. Uh, well, Tappy, your show, it's called An Audience with Tappy Wright, Rock Roadie. Uh, it's at the Assembly Rooms. Thank you very much indeed. James Tappy Wright, ladies and gentlemen. Now, uh, comedian Des Bishop is just about to join us on stage for a chat, but before he does, let's get a bit of stand-up comedy. Uh, he's a BBC New Comedy Award winner, very funny, usually well turned out, gratifyingly well-spoken. Please welcome Tom Allen. How's everyone doing? <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> you having a good fringe? Yes. You don't sound like you are. <laughs> I'm having a good fringe. I had the nicest compliment paid to me the other day after my show. Someone came up to me and said, oh, I really liked it. I really liked it. I laughed. I laughed. This woman came up and she kept talking to me. Right? Said, I laughed. I laughed. I laughed so much. I forgot to take my contraceptive pill. <laughs> it's the only time I have ever been responsible for getting a member of the audience pregnant. <laughs> uh, but the sh my show is called Women! Exclamation mark. And I don't know if that means I should say it as women or women, uh, but it's about the different women in my life, um, like, uh, th there's been lots, uh, but not like that. Um, because as a gay man, and I am a gay man, did I need to explain that? Uh, 
the, you know, you sort of have a different relationship. And it started, I think, through my parents uh, and, and their friends. And my mum phoned me the other day to tell me about one of her friends, Joyce. 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 Joyce has tried to do herself in. I said, oh, my God, how shocking. She said, yeah, well, we was all surprised because she's only just had her kitchen done. <laughs> I had to explain to her that sometimes mental health and home improvement <laughs> don't always go hand in hand. I, I also have another friend, Anna, and she reads a lot of magazines, uh, like Heat magazine. Does anybody here read it? No, lady in the front. No, no, we don't. And um, Anna saw in this magazine, she's very keen to be in a relationship. Uh, she's desperate to be in a relationship. Well, she's just desperate. And um, she saw in one of these magazines that to help her feel more sexy, she should try going commando. Has anybody here tried that? Maybe you're trying it. No, we have not. Again, we don't understand your world. Not gay world. Um, <laughs> only. Um, what time is it? Oh my God. Um, so uh, she unfortunately got it confused, ended up going Columbo. Spent three weeks walking around in a gabardine mac, <laughs> speaking in an American accent, asking people just one more thing. <laughs> it didn't help her find a boyfriend, but it did help her find a man who had murdered his wife. <laughs> I was flyering for my show the other day, and flyering is basically just handing out a picture of your face and asking people to take it. Picture of my face. It's like a picture of my face. It's like a picture. Uh, my bald head uh, handing out pictures of it and this man came over to me and he had quite a rough unkept beard and kind of lots of badges on his lapel and he was carrying a plastic bag he was a tramp and I should have known he smelt of sick and he oh we don't like that uh, he, <laughs> and he said uh, you right, pal he was Danish. And <laughs> he wasn't, he was Scottish. And he said, you're right, pal. I said, yes, thank you. He said, uh, can I tell you a joke? And I said, oh, yes, please. <laughs> sure, it'll be scintillating. He said, what's Edinburgh got that you haven't? I said, oh, I, I, I don't know. Um, a castle? <laughs> No, no. I said, oh, I, I, I don't know, um, uh, a Jenner's? No, no. I, said, I, really, I really don't have time for this. I have a show to do. <laughs> I'm just a bit terrified by this point. He said, the only thing that Edinburgh's got that you haven't is a fringe. <laughs> Tom Allen, ladies and gentlemen, catch him every night at the Gilded Balloon at 7.30. <laughs> Uh, Des Bishop originally comes from Queens in New York. He moved to Ireland in his teens, where he still spends most of his time. His show this year is called Des Functional. He's here to tell us why. Please welcome Des Bishop. <laughs> Des, welcome. Already attracting the, uh, the wolf whistles. That's nice. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, <laughs> Des Functional, that's a, it's a brand new hour of stand-up for you. How's, how's it working out? Yeah, it's been going good. Journey through sort of... Uh, 
some of the more emotionally dysfunctional things in my life. It's been good. I, I know I have a bit in my show about, you know, when you, you have a, an awkward situation and then you automatically want to turn it into a joke. That's definitely something that I have, an emotionally intense moment. But I, basically I'm trying to challenge that and say that actually if you don't tell a joke at that moment, the other side of staying with that emotional intensity can, can be quite powerful. Because it's, it, it is a sort of a, a emotionally crippling thing, isn't it? The, the desire to make jokes, and you do find yourself being, I don't know, being berated by a, a, a parent or loved one, and just in your head thinking, the minute you leave this room, I'm going to get a fucking biro and write this down, because this is absolute... <laughs> <laughs> this is absolute gold. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's like the, the example I give in the show, right, is, uh, say you take two men, like, say, two Irish men, they decide to go away. For the, the, the quick version of it is, like, they would go away for the weekend, they have the most amazing time ever, like, on a session, as you would say, in Scotland and Ireland. A session in Scotland and Ireland is going away for the weekend and drinking as much as you possibly can for as long as you possibly can. Of course, Americans don't associate the word session with that at all, they would associate the word session with exercise. Yeah, after a session in America, you might expect to lose three or four pounds. After a session in Ireland, you might expect to lose your family. So uh, <laughs> these guys are off on one of them. And uh, let's say they have an amazing time, party on a beach, bonfire, everything. And at the end, one of them is so inspired by what he's experienced, he takes a sip of his can of cider, turns to his best friend and says, you know something, man? It's one of the best nights of my life. You're one of my best friends, and I fucking love you, man. I fucking love you. A beautiful moment that will immediately have to be followed in Ireland anyway with, like, I don't want to ride your end, like, I'm just saying, you're my friend. You know? <laughs> Never can you hold on to the beauty of that. But I'm trying to challenge that there's actually a majesty beyond that moment if you don't tell a joke. Yeah, letting, letting the love hang in the air. That's, that's uh, right. That's what we call it at home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you had a much more nurturing upbringing than me, I would say. Uh, now, you, you do, you, you've ended up with a sort of quite funky accent in the sense it's, you know, you're from New York, but it's, it's now sort of getting a, an Irish tinge or brogue. Uh, yeah, well, I've, I've lived there since I'm 14. I mean, I got kicked out, you know, I'm from New York, but I got kicked out of school when I was 14, but, and why I got kicked out of school was for a 14-year-old that had a serious problem with alcohol. So my mother came up with this ingenious idea to send me to Ireland to go to boarding school. And <laughs> <laughs> needless to say, I became the best alcoholic you could be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you, you see, to Ireland's very, that's your home now. Oh yeah, 100%. I'm 100% Irish. The Irish don't accept that. They rejected me. I thought I was Irish. I got there. They said, you're not Irish. And uh, they rejected me, which made me want them more. And then I became a successful comedian, and they saw me as a foreigner taking the piss out of them, which made them want me more because they've come to associate abuse with love. So we have this lovely, dis <laughs> we have this beautiful dysfunctional relationship, which has led to my success. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Des Bishop, every night at the Assembly Rooms. Thank you very much indeed, Des Thank Bishop. You. John Bishop is readying himself in the backstage here. I think I can hear him doing some uh, vocal stretches. But first, a man with two shows on at the Underbelly, 1999 and Forest and Dreams, here now performing for us, Sammy J. Thank you for having me here today in your beautiful cobbled city. Imagine there's no lyrics. Thank you, that's my political material out of the way, folks. Um, thank you so much. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to finish now with a song from my upcoming release, uh, Sticky Digits. I hope you enjoy it. Here's a song about little jokes that you share with your partner. Like sort of how much you earn and, and that sort of thing. 
Sometimes when I'm driving with my lady We'll see someone and say maybe we should run that person over We're just joking naturally We simply find it funny The absurdity of running a complete and utter stranger off the road but just say maybe I was driving with my lady And we made our normal joke But then by sheer coincidence My steering spindle broke And we careered into the guy And killed him instantly And when the police arrived And asked us to describe the scene Inside the vehicle Just before the crash Would we tell him about the joke? Would he understand Our postmodern sense of humour? Or would the accident look planned? Would we tell him about the joke? And sometimes when I'm dining with my lady And we have an Asian waitress I'll say something pretty racist like Should we go somewhere else? The implication being I'm uncomfortable with seeing Asian people Which of course is not the truth But just say maybe Whilst dining with my lady I dropped my knife upon the floor But didn't see the Asian waitress From before was coming over to assist While I was fumbling on the ground And being slightly pissed I flung my arms up when I found the knife And stabbed her accidentally in the face <laughs> Would I tell the judge about the joke? Would he understand that the joke was unrelated And I'm not a racist man Would I tell him about the joke? I doubt it And sometimes when I'm waiting with my lady At the airport for a plane She'll say something quite insane Like she's got cocaine up her ass Of course her ass is empty It just helps to pass the time While we're standing in the line But just say maybe she went to the bathroom and whilst applying perfume was set upon by drug mules who forced her into putting several condoms of cocaine into her bum and when they left her she went straight to the police who came and found me and asked me if I knew about the drugs. Well I have to tell them about the joke. Honesty's best, she said she had narcotics on her Well I never would have guessed, you think you know someone And then the bitch turns out to be a fraud But would she still be my lady anymore? I doubt it Thank you Gunny, have a lovely day, see you soon Sammy J Well ladies and gentlemen, scousers, they all think they're comedians uh, Well, uh, the next one <laughs> The next one actually is uh, a very funny one at that. Please welcome John Bishop. John, welcome. Thank you, Miles. How, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great, thank you. I feel like I'm part of a, of a community action group. I feel, that we're, I feel uniquely bonded with this audience and that we can all take the world on by your leadership alone. Gosh. Because you've been badly let down by him. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, possibly a little unfair, but I'm happy to, to, to yes, agree with you. Um, <laughs> now, uh, your show, it's on, it's on every night at the Pleasance Courtyard. It's called uh, Elvis Has Left the Building. Mm. Uh, can, you, can you tell me why? No. 
no, I, I can, but I just uh, we've just sat there, me and Des have sat watching Tappy before. I, James. I, 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 James, James, brilliant. Wasn't that great? My, my show's got nothing to do with Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I feel like I've just robbed robbed his fame to try and shift tickets. <laughs> Elvis has left the building because James Tappy told him to fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got this idea now that people are buying tickets and turn proper genuine Elvis fans in Elvis suit to buy tickets and some scouse bloke comes out and talks about his kids. <laughs> <laughs> No, the, the reason was is because I had to come up with the title as you have to with all of these shows, and um, which is a ridiculous thing because the title doesn't make anyone enjoy the show more or less. No one's ever been to a comedy show and thought, that was really funny, but I feel dreadfully let down by the title. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they, as you know, Miles, they pest you for the title. Like in January, I was getting asked, and I, I saw a documentary in January that... Um, that staggered me because I found out during the documentary that I'm the same age that Elvis Presley was when he died. And that just changed everything. It did. I view life in a different way. Yeah, I didn't have a dump for four days. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't, do it. All of a sudden, it's a big risk. It's, it's like Russian roulette. This could be the one. I started... I went through a period of texting me mates every time I went, saying, look, I'm just going for one now. If I don't text you back, get an ambulance. <laughs> now, uh, you... Uh... <laughs> you know what was funny about that is the number of men in this room, he went, he could be right, you know. <laughs> this is definitely the demographic. <laughs> <laughs> you used to be a nightclub bouncer, is that true? I was, uh, I've done it a few places, but the, the way where I started it first was in Jersey. Uh, I was in Jersey because um, I left school at 16 and then I went to Jersey when I was about 17 and I, uh, I was working, I convinced people over there that I was a chef to try and get a job, and I wasn't a chef, and so that didn't last very long. <laughs> In fact, it lasted one shift. <laughs> you know, you see these programmes now where people try to be chefs, well, no-one had made the programme then, but they should have done, because it was such a disaster. I had to make eggs for 18 people, and I'd never made an egg for one, and I was just... <laughs> I just tried to copy what the other lad was doing, and, he, and it was a proper Gordon Ramsay moment where the, there was a Portuguese chef who was, who was running the kitchen, just came in and said so many expletives in a Portuguese accent so quickly that it was the funniest thing I have ever heard. About. What the fuck, 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 get out! <laughs> so I got sacked, and then. Uh, and then because of my accent, people have an assumption about you that you can fight. Um, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I, I walked out and I, I knew someone who was also working on the door of this nightclub. So I got a job on the door of the nightclub. But the maddest thing about it was that in Jersey at the time, and I don't even know if this still persists, in, in Jersey at the time, you can open nightclubs on a Sunday, but people are not allowed to dance. Well, they certainly weren't when I was there. This is true because the devil will come or something ridiculous, whatever goes on. So the place where I was in Jersey, we had this nightclub. 
So we could open it, but you weren't allowed to dance. So people could come in in order to, to come in, they could get a meat pie. So it was part of an entertainment experience, but they weren't going to a nightclub, they weren't dancing. We could play music, but no one could dance. The DJ, however, used this as an opportunity to play all the best music on a Sunday. And I actually left that establishment one Sunday night when he played Baggy Trousers by Madness. So there was me and two bouncers who were patrolling the, nice, the, the nightclub dance floor saying, look, you can't dance, you can't dance, because he would lose the license. That's how backward the place is. And um, he played Baggy Trousers by Madness. I had Baggy Trousers, Baggy Trousers. He said, I'm playing this for the second troop of parrots who were over here on manoeuvres. The dance floor got filled with paratroopers jumping up and down. The manager came running in and said, you'll have to get him off. I took my jacket off, gave him his dicky ball, said, you can piss off. And left. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, John Bishop. Thank you very much indeed to all of my guests today, James Tappy Wright, Sammy J, Tom Allen, Des Bishop and John Bishop. Here to play us out, appearing every lunchtime at the White Horse as part of the Free Fringe, please welcome Delete the Banjacks! I went in for a lamp, just one lamp, I only wanted a lamp, an angle poise lamp, but I came out with 59 different items and some meatballs. And I took it to my car, but it wouldn't off it, so I had to get a cab, which cost me 50 quid. There was only one problem when I got back, I hadn't realized that it was all flat packed. IKEA! IKEA! My name is Shelley, I'm 16 years old I don't like people, I don't do what I'm told I work in Ikea on the weekends I use all the money to get twatted with my friends Excuse me, have you got any angle poise lamps at all? I know nothing about chairs, nothing about doors Nothing about beds, nothing about floors You're looking at me like I know what to do with them shelves Do you know what? You gotta do it yourself Ikea! You do it yourself, you gotta do it yourself You gotta do it yourself you gotta do it yourself, you gotta do it yourself, you gotta do it yourself. Ah, uh, to the K, to the E, to the A. Me and my girl went out the other day to buy some shit from Ikea. They said nice to see her. I went in for a lamp and I left with a cheer and another 50 items. When I got back, I attacked the stack of CD racks. That's a fact. Called up my dad to ask for some help. Turn back around, the bitch had built it herself. Ikea! Three minutes is all it took her. It's embarrassing for a man. I'm starting to think blokes in the 21st century will be completely redundant. So I'm sitting on the floor, instructions on my knee. It tells me attach the A to the B with the hinges on the G and a screw in the P. In order to do this, I'm gonna need an Allen key. So I went straight back after Wembley. I asked the boy lady, what'd you give me? I wanted a Billy, but you gave me a Benny. I said I wanted a Billy, but you gave me a Benny. I said I wanted a Billy, but you gave me a Benny. Said I wanted a Billy, but you gave me a Benny. Said I wanted a Billy, but you gave me a Benny. What am I gonna do with a mother having Benny? Do it yourself, you gotta do it yourself, gotta do it yourself. Do it yourself, gotta do it yourself. 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 Do it yourself.
Sorry, this closer to you. Sorry. Closer to me, right. Sorry. No, no apologies. I'm very sorry about the mic stand remark. It was. Oh, dear.